0: Good morning, River Ben. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to uh, open up to Romans chapter 5. We're going to continue on with our sermon series in Romans. This morning, as you're turning there, uh, first I want to say I'm very thankful for you. Thank you, River Ben, for how you love uh, myself and how you love Holly and you support us. Um, I could not be more thankful for this body. So as you turn to Romans chapter 5, man, I'm delighted to come and uh, speak to you about what the Lord has been putting on my heart for this passage. This has not been a passage that's easy to deal with. It's got a lot of intricacies in it, and uh, man, I pray the Lord speaks this morning through it. Um, As we get ready to dive in, I kind of want us to look into the past couple chapters of Romans to kind of get us a head start into Romans chapter 5 where we are. Um, So Paul, I'm just going to remind you that Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And he's writing because he wants to get a base of support, because he wants to go eventually pass Rome into Spain, and he wants Rome to be essentially kind of his base there in the east. Does this make him my- Okay, there you go. Can you hear me now? All right. So he wants he wants Rome to kind of be his base there, so that he can be sent out from Rome into uh, Spain and all the way to the to the west from there. So he has to write this book to to remind them, hey, this is what the gospel is. This is the importance of it. And essentially, he's sending a mission support letter to this church in Rome. So that's what he's writing this letter for. And so the whole book is is kind of. It's kind of a, uh, it's a love missions letter, but also it is a, a, here's what the gospel is, here's why we believe it, here's what the importance of it is, um, and here's what I, I want you to come, so come alongside me and support me in as we go and do this together. So Romans chapter 1, we see that he first thanks the church in Rome. He says, thank you church for how you support me, how you, how you love me, and I'm uh, excited about the chance of coming to you. Um, but then he also says that uh, what i 'm writing to you about is the gospel he says Romans 116 that i 'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation to all who believe and then he begins to lay out why we need the gospel in Romans 118 and following he talks about um, how sin how sin is spread to the whole world and there's that everyone is without excuse because God has revealed himself through nature he 's proven himself power through na- powerful through nature and so man is without excuse but then he goes on in Romans two and in Romans 3, um, he says this, and I'm going to kind of summarize it up with how Romans three twenty three lays it out. Romans three twenty three, you can kind of take it from Romans 1 to Romans 5. Romans 3 kind of splits it in the middle. Um, the previous chapters 1 through 3 talk about this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God kind of summarizes chapters 1 through 3, but then As Brian said a couple weeks ago, we can't end with the bad news. We've got to continue on with the good news. And it says that all are justified by his grace as a gift. And he lays it out in chapters 4 and 5 and continuing on. And that's where we find ourselves today. He's talking about this free gift of grace that is in Christ Jesus. So what I want us to do, I'm going to read these verses for us. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll dive into it this morning. So, Uh, If you will read with me, the words will be on the screen. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and following says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Church, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. God, your word is so true, so right. Father, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. God, it penetrates our heart. God, you use it to teach us and grow us and help us to look more like your son. And I thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have as your sons and your daughters to come study it. God, I pray that you would, God, just speak to our hearts, challenge us, encourage us, grow us. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for you. God, I want you to speak through to us this morning. God, as we hear from you, God, would you speak through my mouth. God, may my words uh, not be on my tongue, but, Father, may it be your words on me, Lord. Anoint me this morning, and may you speak through me. Father, open our hearts, help us to see you, see your goodness, and your mercy, and your grace. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray these things, amen. So for us, us to kind of understand our text this morning, we really have to go back to Genesis. Uh, Don't worry, we're not going to read Genesis through Romans. That would take forever. Uh, We're going to just go back to Genesis and kind of talk about Adam. And here's why. Because Paul in this chapter, in this section, is is making a a comparison between Adam, the first Adam, and what we're going to call the second Adam. I'm really even, even hesitant to kind of use that term because he's not really a second Adam. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. But we're going to use it as the first Adam and the second Adam. He's making a comparison here in these verses of Adam and Christ. So I want us to look and go back to Genesis. Uh, You don't have to turn there right now, but uh, we're going to look, and we're going to look at Genesis and how Adam is laid out in Scripture and what God's plan was from the beginning. So our God is a sovereign God. He is a God of detail, a God of planning. He knows everything. He knows everything about us. He he knows everything about what is going on. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. All of these things, He is all-powerful and all-knowing. Our God is sovereign. And so... I say that because from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, he had planned. He had planned this whole thing out. God's got it rigged. He really does. God's got. It. He's, he's sovereign. He's so sovereign in all of this. Okay. So our God, our God created the world. Our God created the world and everything inside of it in six days. Then on the sixth day, He decides to create man. But here's the catch: God knew that man would sin against Him. But how gracious of a God he is that he would still create us because he knew he knew that he would send his son into the world to redeem us and to purchase us by his grace our God is a sovereign God how do we know that this is a plan Acts two twenty three says this and we're reading this in our small groups and we've we've gone through this The words won't be on the screen but it says that this Jesus was delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, he knew from the beginning of time that this was the plan, that his son Jesus was to come and redeem us from our sins. Yet he still made man. How good is he? So he makes man, right? He makes man. Also, we look at Isaiah 53. It says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. We know that our God does not change, so his will does not change. He just, our, our sin did not catch God off guard. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Isaiah 53 continues, and he says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. You see, the past present there in Isaiah, it's not even, it's not even uh, 600 years yet before Christ would come, and it's acting like it's already done. Our God is sovereign. The will uh, of the Lord does not change. So his will was to come and send Jesus for us. And this is pertinent for us to understand. But what I want us to look at at Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. The words are going to be on the screen. Uh, God creates man, shapes man, and he molds man, but he makes them in a specific way. And I want us to read these words together on the screen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you see three words that really repeat there. You see created, or you see two words. You see created repeated three times, but then you also see image repeated twice. This is a repetition. God created man in his own image, the image of God he created them. This is important. This is something God wanted us to grasp and grasp a hold of, that he created us in his image. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? To be created in the image of God doesn't mean that we have a toe or a nose like God. It doesn't mean a physical image. What it means is that uh, we were created to be spiritual beings. We were created to know the the difference between good and uh, and evil. We were created to be spiritual, to seek after him. Uh, We'll continue on in Romans, and it'll say that God wrote his law on our heart. He's written his law on our heart. So he's given us a conscience. He's made us a spiritual being. He's created us in the image of God. We are his image bearers. This was his plan from the beginning. So we are created in the image of God. All right? So it says that God created man in the image of God, created them male and female. So you guys know the story. He creates Adam first. He takes the dust of the ground and forms them, and then he breathes life into Adam. And he says, uh, uh, and he gives Adam this this declaration that you are to be over all animals, over all creation. Uh, this is yours. I've given this to you. You are in dominion over them. Right? All right, so I want us to kind of look at a couple things about Adam. And These things will be on the screen too, but first, Adam was created in the image of Adam. God. He was created in the image of God. This is important. I want you to remember this because we're going to contrast this later with Christ. He, Adam was created in the image of God. Secondly, he was created to be the head of the human race. So, just as I said uh, a second ago, that he God had given him dominion over all of uh, over all the plants, over all the birds, over all creation. He had given him dominion over that. But God says a particular word from Genesis one all the way up to 20, uh, all the way up to chapter three. He looks at Adam. And he says, "You, you are going to be the uh, you are going to have dominion over the birds and over the seas. You're going to have all these things." And he blesses Adam with this. And he looks at Adam. It's in Hebrew. It's a singular you. This is crucial. Singular singular you. And then in Genesis chapter three, when he creates Eve, it's plural. I want us to remember that because we'll come back to that. But this, the singular you means that Adam was clearly the representative of the human race. He was the first man of the human race. Adam was to represent all of man and all of the generations that were, that were to follow him. This is, this is the plan that God had established, that Adam was going to be the, uh, the progenitor of the human race, the leader of the human race. So he's, Adam was created in God's image, but also he was the head of the human race. All right, and also he was the head of his family, so so Adam's kind of walking around in the garden, and he's giving these names to animals, and then this was the intention, the reason that God really gave him the uh, the purpose of going around and naming the animals, because He wanted Adam to see that there was no one like him. So he goes around and he sees, man, there's no one like me. And so God takes a rib from Adam's side, and He creates and forms Eve. And his I love his first words. He says. Whoa, man. No, not really. He didn't say that. His first words were, he says, This is it this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is my partner, my helpmate. But God gave him, God gave him the responsibility of leading his family. He was the head of the family and Paul talks about that all throughout uh, all throughout his letters and we don't have time to dive into that, but that is crucial for you men, us men, to remember we are the head of our family, okay? But uh, he was not only the head of the human race, he was also the head of his family. Okay, so God, before Eve was created, God gave this commandment to Adam. He said, you can have any of the fruit that's in the garden of Eden, but you cannot have this one tree, this tree of life you cannot eat. You cannot eat this. But see in Genesis chapter three we see that the servant servant who's a smart, cunning serpent, comes to Eve. He comes to Eve. He comes to the one who uh didn't get the instructions directly, but he uh he comes to the one who is the instructions have been passed down from Adam to Eve, and he's a smart serpent because he says he tries to trick her on God's word. And he said, Did God really say did God really say these things, that if you eat of this tree of life, that you're going to die? Surely you won't. Surely you won't. He tricks Eve, and he, he, he deceives Eve, and Eve eats of the, uh, the fruit, right? But what do we notice next? It says that Eve eats of the tree, and then he gives, he, she gives it to Adam. Gives it to Adam, Adam, the head of the family, head of the household. He's the one who's supposed to be leading them spiritually. He's been given these directions. He's supposed to pass down to his wife Eve, right? And so who does God come to first in the garden? He doesn't come to Eve, who had taken of the fruit first. No, he comes to Adam. Genesis 3 says that he comes to the man. He asks, where are you? So who does, who does God shift the blame? Not shift the blame, but who does, who does the blame lay on? Who does who's the blame lay on? It lays on Adam not his wife Eve, because he is the head of the family and the head of the human race. So I want us to understand this. This is, uh, this is crucial for us to understand Romans chapter 5. Um, so we know that the man was created in God's image. But if you have a copy of God's word, God's Word, keep your hand in Romans chapter 5. I want us to look at Genesis chapter 5. So keep your hand in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look over at Genesis chapter 5 real quick, and I want to show you something just briefly. The words will be on the screen if, if you don't happen to have a copy of God's Word with you. So Genesis chapter 5 gives us some detail of the generations that follow Adam. So we know in Genesis 1.27 that God created man in his own image. In the likeness of him, he created them, right? So Genesis chapter 5 gives us some interesting detail. In verse 1 it says this, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, catch this, in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. When Adam lived a hundred years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and in his own image. So here's the deal. We were created to be God's image bearer. Man was created to be God's image bearer. But when sin entered the world, and death through sin, as we'll learn, when sin entered the world, our image of God was distorted by sin. It's like as if you're looking through a mirror. If you're looking at a mirror and we're to be reflecting the image of God, we're looking at a mirror that has been scratched, a mirror that has been broken, it still bears the image of God, but it, uh, it still reflects the image of God, but it's distorted because of our sin. So this is how man was, uh, how sin was passed down, that we were no longer made in the image of God. We weren't created in the image of God. We were still his, his image bearers because Adam Adam resembled Christ, or Adam was made in the image of God, but He made His Son, or He gave birth to a son in His own likeness. This is crucial for us to understand that uh, that it was passed down from Adam to Seth, and from Seth his son Enosh, and so forth. That the image of God was distorted from Adam on to the generations following. So then, uh, with this image of God, that the the distorted image of God continues to on continues on for generations, and generations, and generations, and then the Son of Man, Christ, enters into the scene. All right, and. Uh, and so this is what uh, this is uh, this is what uh, uh, the prophets have said about Jesus. That uh, first we look in Genesis chapter three; and he's promised that he would come and crush the head of the serpent. Um, the serpent would strike his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent. And then we look in Isaiah chapter five. And he's I mean Isaiah chapter seven; he's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, the virgin will give birth and conceive a son. In Isaiah chapter nine. That for a child has been born to us, a man has been born to us, but, but a son has been given. God's son has been given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. We know Matthew says that all authority has been given to Jesus. And that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we could go on prophecy after prophecy of this Jesus who was prophesied to come and bear the sins of the world. But what I want us to, 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 uh, to capture in on is the fact that he was born, he was born of a virgin. He, he was born of Mary. He was the son of Mary and also the son of God. Jesus was both fully God and both fully man. Why? What's the importance of Christ's deity and Christ's humanity? What is the importance of that? First, because Christ, uh, uh, being fully God, only God can take on the wrath of our sin that we fully deserve. Only Christ, as God, could, could bear the weight of our punishment that we deserve. Only God himself can step on the way of his own wrath because he uh, his wrath is so great and so fierce. But then secondly, why was he born of a, of a man? Why was, he, uh, why was he humbled to become a man? Because only one who has been tempted as we were in the flesh, yet was without sin, could provide a sacrifice. So God's, uh, Christ full, uh, being fully God and fully man, his deity and humanity is crucial for us to understand, for us to believe as Christians that God was both fully man and fully God. But here's... Something that I love, all right? This is something that, cra- uh, that, that grabbed my heart, that captured my heart as I was reading this. Um, uh, it's, it's found in Colossians chapter 1. Don't turn there just yet. But what I want you to grab is it says that uh, um, this is kind of the, 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 the heading that we're going, that Jesus is, as I said, the second Adam. But he's not just the second Adam. He is the better Adam. All these things. We see that Adam was created in the image of God. We see that Adam was the head of the human race. We see that Adam was the head of his family. All right? Contrast this to Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Turn with me there. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And the words will be on the screen again if you don't have a copy of God's word. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, reads this. He is the image of the invisible God. Did you catch that? He is the image of the invisible God. Adam was created in God's image. Jesus himself, he is the image of the invisible God. Second Corinthians 4 says the same thing. He is the image of God. He was not born of the line of Adam, but of woman. He was not born of Adam, but of God. He, so, just, so unlike Adam, he doesn't, he doesn't bear the distorted image of, of, of God. And, and instead, he is the image of God. He is the image of God. Adam bore the image of God, but Jesus was the image of God. Secondly, if you keep going on with, uh, with Colossians, it says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does it mean that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation? It doesn't mean... Uh, uh, well, what it does mean is that he was given authority over everything, not just of the birds or of the seas or uh, uh, like Adam. Adam was given authority over the birds and of the seas and of the ground. No, this Jesus was given authority over everything. He was the firstborn of all creation. All authority was in his hands. So the picture here that Paul is writing is just like a king, a king who has passed down his throne to His Son, passed down the rights of His throne to His Son, so our Father has given His Son everything, everything in Christ, okay? So keep going on with uh, Romans, uh, with uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, uh, the firstborn of all creation, verse 16 says, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things were given through Him or created through Him and for Him. All things were created through him and for him. So Christ is the image of God, but secondly, he is the head of the church. Look with me in verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So you have Adam on one side, he is created in the image of God. He, he is the head over the human race. But then you have Jesus who enters, enters the scene. He is, uh, he is the image of God. He does not just bear the image of God. He is the image of God. And then he is the head of the church. And so this is what Paul is setting up in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. He's setting up a contrast between being in Adam, the head of the human race, versus being in Christ, the head of the church. This is the contrast that Paul is setting up. So with that in mind, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And I want us to uh, look at just a handful of comparisons or contrasts here um, from Romans chapter 5. So turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 12. And this is what it says. Uh, in, In verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, through one man and death through sin, so death spread through all men, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. All right Paul's right there, so this is a uh, a bunch of stuff to kind of look at, but this is exactly what we 've seen from Genesis. That in the beginning, Adam was created in the image of God. He was the representative of man. God made him the representative of man, right? And then Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, we all in Adam, because we are his successors, we all in Adam sinned. It's what the Bible tells us here. Because Adam sinned, we all sinned with him or in him. Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So what is what is he talking about here? No law, sin, how does that happen? All right, so sin was in the world. We know that because Genesis chapter 6 uh, and 7, Noah uh, with the story of Noah, uh, God was frustrated with the sinfulness of the world, and so he sent a judgment upon them. And so we know that sin was clearly in the world. Um, and then uh, we even can look at it with the Tower of Babel. Sin was clearly in the world in the Tower of Babel. So this was before Moses came. Moses was the law. Uh, Moses gave the law, but the law... God gave the law not to condemn men, but to show men their sin. So he's saying, what Paul is saying here so far, just setting everything up really, is that uh, that Adam uh, sinned, and so all men sinned in Adam, all right? Uh, And so death came through sin because um, uh, because Adam sinned, death entered into the world, all right? So Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 15, look with me there, it says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So here's the comparison. You have in Adam, and then you have in Christ. You have the free gift in Christ is not like. It's a completely separate, different type of uh, than what is in Adam. So you have in Adam is completely separate from what is in Christ. Okay, So you have uh, the free gift is not like the trespass. Well, Well, how is it not like the trespass? Read with me in verse 15. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So this is how I'm setting up the comparisons. They'll be on the screen. Um, but we're going to do kind of a 1A, if you're with me. So, so, so we'll have 1A, that will be in Adam, okay? and then we'll have a 1B, because I like grammar. So we we'll have a 1A in Adam, and then we'll have a 1B, and that will be in Christ. You follow me? Perfect. All right. So in in Adam one a. All right. In Adam one a. All are guilty. Oh, well, where do you see that? All right. Verse fifteen. All Adam are all are guilty in Adam. Okay. Verse fifteen. For if many died through one man's trespass, well, that's that's different. You're, Stephen, you said that it says all are guilty in Adam, but the te- text here says many died. This is kind of where this text gets really confusing, because Paul says many and all," very many times, um, but he uses them for a very specific person, uh, for a very specific purpose. So this many here so it says, "If many died through one man's trespass, this many literally means that all without Christ." I mean all except for Christ is what I mean. All except for Christ. That was totally different. All except for Christ is the many, okay? So the many. So for if all except for Christ died through one man's trespass, why all except for Christ? Because remember, we go back to Christ being born of of, a woman, not of Adam, born of a woman, fully God and fully man. Right, he is the second Adam. So all, uh, all except for Christ, have died through Adam's trespass. Because, because how would how would that work if Christ had died through Adam's trespass? If if Christ was guilty because of Adam's sin, how could he pay for our sin? Right. So if Christ had died um, with with Adam, if Christ was born not of a virgin, if Christ was born not of God, if Christ was not fully God and fully man, there's no way he could pay for our sin. Okay, so. Uh, all, for if all, except for Christ, have died through one man's trespass, um, much more have the grace of God and the free great gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So all are guilty in, in Adam. In Adam, there's not one that's excused. In Adam, in Adam, there's guilt, there's shame, there's sin, there's death. In Adam, there's nothing but guilt. And shame, and sin, and death, because we have all sinned, because Adam sinned. And even more than that, even more than that, we have sinned on our own. And I was thinking this morning, I was seven years old, and my parents are in the room right now, but I lied to my mom and dad when I was seven. I don't know if they know this or not, but I made a D on my test, and uh, I decided to throw that test in the garbage can. Um, it's the only D I've ever made in my life. Mom and dad, I love you. So, um, <laughs> So I remember even at the age of seven, I'm, I'm a sinner, right? I've sinned, against, I've sinned against the holy God. I am guilty in Adam, in Adam before Christ, I am guilty. There's nothing but guilt and death and sin and shame and death, sp- death spread to all men. There's no escape from this death. Not just physical death, all, all will die one day, but a spiritual death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. So all are guilty in Adam, but praise the Lord, that's not the end of the news. Because it says, for if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. One B, 1B, 1B says grace abounds for the many in Christ, for the many in Christ. And here's how we get to the part about, well, well, how do we move from in Adam to being in Christ? Because we're all born into being in, we're all born into Adam. We're all born dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 says. We'll get to that later, but Ephesians 2 says we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins the way that we once walked. We're born dead in Adam. How do we get to being in Christ? How do we get to being in Christ? How do we get to be one of that many one of the many that, that the grace abounds for. How do we get to, how do we get to there? Well, Romans, Romans 3 says that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, right, and are justified by His grace as a gift. His, this gift, this gift is God giving His Son for us to pay the penalty for our sin. Romans 10, 9-10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved you will be saved. There's no doubt you will be saved. God's desire, Titus says, God's desire is that all would be saved, that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life in him. This is his desire. He offers this free gift to us in his grace that that all we have to do is believe and give our life and surrender our life to him and say, yes, you are Lord. You are the boss of my life. I, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I need you. To to cleanse me from my sin, so that I can stand before you holy. This is the confession that we have to make from to move from being in Adam to being in Christ. From being in Adam and in Christ, but praise the Lord. There's there's not a there's in in Christ. There's no death. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Romans eight says that there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ. We stand in His grace. If you have professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are no longer in Adam, but praise Jesus, you are in Christ. Man, John John's gospel says that there is nothing that can take us out of his hand. If you are in Christ, you no longer are going back to Adam. So grace abounds for the many in Christ. In Christ, there's grace and forgiveness and life. Paul will later say in uh, in, chapter tw- or in, in verse 20 here, that now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's abundant grace. There's, in, in Adam, there's abundant death, but in Christ, there's abundant life. That's good news, amen? Abundant death in Adam, but in Christ, there's abundant life. You see the contrast here. He's the better Adam. He's the better Adam. There's no comparison. He's the better Adam. He's better in scope. He's better in scope. There's abundant death in Adam that we can never escape from, but there's abundant life in Christ. He is the better Adam. Point two. Uh, two 2A, all right? Point 2A, all are condemned in Adam. All right, let's look down in verse, verse number 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification all are condemned in adam all are condemned in adam because all have sinned if we stand in adam if we stand in adam we stand in, adam, we stand in a life that is sinful we stand in a life that is wicked and i want us to show, i want you guys to see this so keep your hand there um, or if you, if you don't want to, you can, uh, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. But if, if you can't, it's up here on the screen. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Ephesians chapter 2. This is, the, this is where Paul is talking about the life prior to Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, And you, and you, that, mean, that being all of us, were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at the work and the sons of disobedience, among among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Take a look at that verse. If you look at that verse, it, it, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we weren't only dead, we were dead men walking. We were dead men walking, it says that we walked uh, following the, the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air. We carried uh, the desires of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh. We were actively dead in our trespasses and sins. And the thing is, when you're dead, you can't save yourself, right? When you're dead, there's nothing you can do to bring yourself back to life. This is the, this is the, uh, the beauty of what is to come. But I want us to grasp the fact that we are dead in sin. We In Adam, we, we stand condemned. There is no hope, there is no peace, but in fact, there is righteous judgment to us. Our world, our world's concept of God is this. How can a good God send people to hell? I hear that question all the time. How can a good God send people to hell? He doesn't. Our sin sends us. We deserve This death, we deserve eternal separation from him because of our sin. He is wholly righteous and wholly just to look at us with all his wrath, to be enemies of God. He is wholly just to declare us as enemies of God. But our God is so gracious. He is so gracious because our God being just to look at us in Adam and say, you are enemies, I want nothing of you. In his grace, he does this. He pursues us in Christ. In his grace, he has pursued us in Christ. Look with me in Ephesians, 4, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, man, the, the big part, verse chapter 4. But God, everybody say, but God. There we go. You guys are awake. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And he reminds us yet again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. There's no works that can save you. No amount of good can wipe away that sin because even one sin is fully worthy of the wrath of God. In Adam we stand condemned. In Adam we stand hopeless. In Adam we stand deserving an eternal death. But praise God for that but God. So 2B says this. Many are justified in Christ. Many are justified in Christ. Romans chapter 5. Look with me there back. Romans chapter 5 verse 16. Romans chapter 5, verse 16 says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment, following one trespass, brought condemnation. Once again, that one trespass brought condemnation. One sin brought condemnation, fully worthy of, of the wrath of God. But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. You see the contrast there. Paul clearly states this one sin that Adam has done, this one sin that Adam has done uh, is... is Uh, is worthy of condemnation. But check this out. This is the amazing, mind-blowing thing that the many trespasses that we we commit are not enough to outdo the grace of God. Because our God is so gracious that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even though we sinned so many times, He loved us enough. And He wanted glory for Himself enough because He receives it. He wanted glory enough for himself that he said, Yes, I will send my son for you. And the many are justified. The many stand right before God because of grace in Christ. I love just I love that word justified. I love it because it means that even though we've sinned, even though we are dirty, and even though we are as filthy rags, even in our righteousness, Jesus our God looks at us in Christ. We are covered in the blood of Christ. He doesn't see us as the sinful, wretched people we are. He sees us as a son and as a daughter. And he sees us as his son who paid the price. Last things. And then we've got a few more minutes, but we really don't, actually. I'm just going to rush through this. All right. So, uh, point number three, verse A, and I'll run through this really quickly uh, says this that all are dead in Adam. 3A, all are dead in Adam look with me in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one more man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. So Paul will later say in Romans chapter six, that all, that the wages of sin is death. Our sin deserves death. And there is nothing but death In Adam and death doesn't just—it's not just a uh, uh, an inactive death. It is a death that reigns. Death has hold on us in Adam. There is fear in death in Adam. And quickly to contrast that to Christ. Three B says that many are alive in Christ. Many are alive in Christ. Look at the end of verse 17, and we're going to look at 20 and 21 just to read those. 17 says, For because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one one man much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, everybody say this with me, reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Verse 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse twenty one, so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord so in death or in, in Adam there's nothing but death death reigns in us if you are in Adam death is reigning in you death has a hold on you there's fear in death and there is punishment in eternal death But praise God for the contrast that in Christ, the many who are in Christ are alive. And death no longer has hold on us. Death no longer has a sting for us. There is no longer a hold on death on us because we will reign in life with Christ. And we have eternal life with him. Oh, praise Jesus for that eternal life. I want to ask you this morning, are you In Adam, are you still walking in the ways of sin? Are you still walking dead in your trespasses of sin? Are you disobedient to our Father who who loves you and has given himself for you? I want to make a plea to you. Please, please give your life. Surrender your life to the one who is fully worthy. And you no longer have to live with death that's hold on you. But you can live in life and have abundant life, John says. That you can have this life and have it eternally now. I plead with you. I beg with you. Please, if you don't know who Jesus is and you don't have him as your Lord and Savior, please, I beg, turn to him. Ask me, ask Stephen, any of the men here, we want to talk to you and we want to tell you about who Jesus is and how he has transformed our life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that... It, in Christ, there's no longer any condemnation. That, Father, being in you, God, we are covered by your blood. Father, our sin in our life is so rampant. Our sin in our life, God, uh, before you, God, has, has, has consumed us before we, were, before we knew you as our Lord and Savior. God, we were dead in our sins. God, I was dead in my sin, hopeless without you. But Father, in your grace, you didn't stop there. Father, you were fully righteous and fully holy in, in looking at me, God, and condemning me. Father, you were fully worthy of looking at us in your wrath and in your just judgment for us. God, you, God, you still looked at us, God, while we were enemies, while we were dead. God, while we were ungodly, you sought us out in Christ. Father, I thank you that there's life abundant in Christ. Father, I thank you that we experience that life now. And I look forward to the day when I'm standing with a multitude of believers from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and praising your name, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Father, may you receive all power and all glory. God, yours is the power, yours is the glory. And God, may you receive, God, all praise from my life. God, I, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord. God, I ask, Father, that you would turn hearts as only you can. Father, you would draw them to yourself, God, and show them, God, your goodness and your mercy. And, Father, that you would, God, awake them to life in Christ. Father, as we sing to you, God, as we give back to you, I pray that you'd be honored in us and through us. And God, may you use Riverbend Church for the magnification of your name in Hernando and DeSoto County and across the world. Praise your name for how you use us for your kingdom. We love you. God, we thank you for Christ. In his name that we pray these things. Amen. Would you stand and listen to our Father.